Welcome to the Educational Leadership Series, Lead Change in Education, where your co-hosts, Adam Drummond and Mark McAmoyle, talk with educational leaders across the country in ways that they're boosting student academic achievement and building collective teacher efficacy. Each episode is especially designed to examine the ways that you can be instructional change agents in your schools as you work to reform culture, instructional planning, learner engagement, and community advocacy in your schools or in your districts. Take the ideas from our guests and work to apply them in your schools so that you can be instructional change agents too. Good afternoon and welcome back to another edition of our podcast where we talk with school leaders who are making changes in education. We're joined today with Con McCartan, who is the recently retired principal from Eden Prairie High School. Hi, Con. Great to have you with us tonight. It's good to be with you. Con, it's an honor for you to join us uh, today and uh, we're really looking forward to hearing about your experiences. Uh, You're a mentor to, to not only myself, but many people around the metro and Twin Cities and the region. Um, so just it's just a great opportunity to to visit with you and share a lot of your learning uh, with our listeners. Uh, would you do me a favor? Tell me a little bit about uh, the the settings that you've served in, uh, the communities, and just what drives you as an ed leader uh, today. Thanks. I uh, so I think probably the the thing that's been a common denominator for me through my career is that I've always kind of worked in relatively large settings. My first uh, teaching job was at uh, Park Center Senior High School in the Osseo School District. Um, uh, I I moved from there to uh, Maple Grove Senior High School um, as an assistant principal and then uh, became principal at at Blaine Senior High in the Anoka District. Uh, Back to Maple Grove as a principal and finished off my career at Eden Prairie. And each of those schools, you know, in the Twin Cities area were, you know, around anywhere from 2000 to uh, Eden Prairie was probably at its peak when I was there, 3,300 students. So I worked in really large buildings. And so a, I think something that influenced me as a leader in all of that was how do you unify a really big school like that culturally uh, for the life of the kids? But then when I became an uh, instructional leader, how do you unify the, the purpose for the staff so that everybody feels like they're a part of uh, a common thing as opposed to, you know, each department or each classroom being its own little fiefdom. Yeah, that's a really great, great question to ponder and consider. And I know many of our listeners, um, our, our secondary high school administrators are, are really even, you know, large elementaries that are eight, 900 students and trying to figure out whether it's a 900 elementary or a 3000 high school. How do you provide that continuity and consistency so that all kids have the opportunity to be successful. Um, from your experiences, how were you able to do that with your faculty and staff? Well, I'll tell you that, and I, I appreciate the fact that you bring up our elementary colleagues because it was, it was from a really skilled elementary principal leader that I first kind of thought about the idea of when they would do um, what they called like their data teams, they would get uh, groups of like at the same grade level together and take a look at the performance data of the students on that grade level team and make decisions about what they would do to try to change the trajectory of success for the students that they were working with. And I was a little bit jealous of the fact that they could do that with <laughs> such ease in an elementary setting. 
and kind of contemplated, so how do you do something like that in a really large comprehensive high school? Because up to that point in time, you know, every sort of instructional initiative you took on, it felt like there was somebody that was an exception. Mm. If it was a literacy initiative, the FIAD teachers weren't necessarily, you know, they tried to figure out how do, that, how do we fit into this or the music teachers, how do we fit into this? And, and, you know, there's sort of these artificial connections to try to make everybody feel like they were a part of that conversation. But when we were able to start talking about the idea that in every single classroom, can we, can we strive towards the vision of each kid earning each credit in each course that all of our work, whatever instructional practice we're doing or grading practice we're doing, or it's all about trying to have each kid achieve a credit in your course. Cause ultimately that's the goal in high school. You know, I read some hilarious thing about the fact that the number one research based strategy for students earning a high school degree is earning their credits. <laughs> right. Go figure. So, I mean, like, yeah, exactly. So if you can, if you can, have a unity of purpose around having each kid um, be successful in your class. Everybody's got skin in that game. And the great part is, is if there's sort of maybe resistance to that, the, the question that tends to keep people working at it is, okay, so whose kids should be the ones that we say, except for you, <laughs> your kid is the one that we don't think should get the credit in the course. And, you know, uh, the, at least the teachers that I had a chance to work with in my career were so committed to the success of kids that that's the one where they go, OK, I'm, I'm still in. What, what else do what else can we do to help these kids be successful? So, so, so Adam, I hear that and I think of I think of the tagline you talk a lot about in your book, 100 percent of the kids, 100 percent of the time. And and that that's powerful. Unifying goal con. Uh, tell us I want to pick a little bit at. When did you start those conversations? What did it really look like? Um, talk about data and data teams. Can you take our listeners through what that process looked like maybe at Eden Prairie High School? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. Initially, it started off with, um, you know, it wasn't super sophisticated, but we, we literally managed these really big spreadsheets where we, um, we were on nine-week terms and we, we did what we called 15% work. We said for every class, teachers would, you know, three weeks into the term, they would take a look, rank all their kids by the percentage grade they were getting and focus on, they'd set a goal for the bottom 15%, that in that bottom 15% of kids, they will all move up one grade increment before the end of the term. That was their, that was their goal. And so everybody did whatever they could to move the kids up one grade increment. So obviously if that kid was getting an F, the goal was to get them to a D minus, you know, and what percentage could you get to get up one grade increment? Obviously the, the magic number is 100%. And we would have conversations on teams about what strategies did you use to help kids be successful and, and reach that next grade increment. And this was before we did any PLC work. So we were sort of like, you know, in a prototypical, you know, kind of PLC environment. And then once we started learning a little bit more about professional learning communities, that conversations got a little bit richer because we were trying to do the same exact sort of data work around what is it you want them to learn? 
how, you know, um, how do you, how do you know that they learned it? How do you know when they didn't learn it? Um, what do you do if they've already, if they already have learned it? And that's when we started getting into the fact that, you know, our grading practices needed to be examined and aligned so that we were sure that if kids were being successful, it was authentic learning and not just sort of gaming extra credit points or providing too much value for something that really didn't measure whether students learned things. And so we got to this point where we were able to have our professional learning teams dive into their own data and and examine their practices to try to make, you know, literally by the time I left there, just in time adjustments to practices that were keeping kids on, keeping kids from having that trajectory towards a credit bearing grade in class. Con, did we lose you? I don't oh, think so. Okay, oh. good. Oh, sure. I thought we lost you there. I'll cut that part out there because there was a, a pause. Yep. So, that, you know what? If you were, if that was going to happen, right? That was. <laughs> yeah. Mark, yeah. So I'll, I'll mark that. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So, Con, you, first of all, I love the the strategy and how simple it was for teachers to be able to rank order their kids based on you know their data. Um, and how they were performing in class, build the bottom 15, and, and what's the strategy. When I work with a lot of high school educators, and even elementary to a certain degree, and those kids who maybe are not being as successful as we would hope, one of the, the statements that I often hear is, you know, um, that kids don't care about their grades, they're not turning in, in their homework, or I care more about their grades than they do. How, did, how do you combat that in working with your instructional staff? So um, the, you know, when we had our grading practice conversation, one of the big um, questions we had was like, so how many, how many attempts or how many chances do kids get to learn something? And um, I won't tell you that that was an easy conversation, <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that sort of moved the needle for us was when we were able to you know, we had with these, what we called, you know, if there were pockets of success, we try to get those teams in front of the entire staff so they could share their success story to give other teams permission to try what they were doing. And one of the early things that worked was when students would come up to a unit assessment and if they didn't do very well on it, almost always the reason that they didn't was they weren't completing their formative work towards that assessment and in the form of like homework and so the kind of corrective that the team would have the students do before they could retake the assessment was go back and do the stuff that we originally assigned you complete the stuff that you didn't do and when they did that generally they did better on the assessment the second time i don't care that probably they did better because they were taking the test the second time what we sold was it's because you did your homework this time. And so kids would learn, I'm not going to go through that hassle a second time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to do my homework the first time. And so you kind of moved a mass of kids that weren't doing their homework to the idea of, well, if I do this the first time, I have a better shot at doing well on my assessment the first time. And I don't have to go through the hassle of going back and repeating that. Clearly there still were kids 
that, you know, you're battling with trying to get their work done. And that ended up for us being a relatively thin slice. I mean, we literally got to the place where only 2% of the grades in any given marking period weren't credit bearing. So we were literally working with a handful of kids that we were trying to lift above that sort of magic bar that we had. So I think that sharing those, when, when, when teams of teachers figured something out, sharing those practices with one another is what allowed other teams to start to figure out ways to get over the hump too. Con, I hear, I hear elements of collective efficacy in there um, to, to use some edge jargon um, that we know is really important to the culture of schools. Uh, you've talked a lot about teachers and PLCs. I imagine this was all hands on deck. Uh, can you talk a little bit about groups around the building that needed to be committed to this common goal, whether we're talking administration, guidance, counselors, uh, you name it. Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic, please? Yeah. Yeah, we uh, and that was absolutely the case for us. Uh, matter of fact, it was a kind of a rallying cry for us during our intervention time was all hands on deck. We had a, um, a really talented uh, team of sort of instructional support um, that made up sort of our intervention team. So they were the ones that when when our PLCs were meeting, we created time once a week at the beginning of the school day when the rest of the students were, could be involved in like clubs and, and, um, and other things like that, where anybody that wasn't a teacher was sort of out in the halls, sort of supervising students when teachers had 45 minutes to meet as a team with the exception of our intervention team, which would on a kind of a rotating basis, get around and listen to the conversations that the teachers were having with one another, both to help them kind of, untie a knot if they were having it, uh, trying to get kids to be successful in those conversations. Sometimes our interventions is, would be able to identify there's a particular way you approach a particular assignment in every given term that if you did that a little bit differently, you could see a number of kids experience success that didn't otherwise experience success. Or they might see something that a team is doing that they could share with another team that they knew was struggling with that exact same, same question. Mm -hmm. So that was one way that we kind of had all hands on deck. And then during our intervention time, which was another period during the week when students would be assigned to um, see teachers that they needed extra help with, or could do enrichment activities in that all of the administrative teams, uh, all the administrators, all of the counselors, mm -hmm. our deans, mm -hmm. everybody else was out and about, again, supervising students in common areas so the teachers could work with smaller groups to be able to um, help those students that they invited. They said, I have to see you to help you get on top of something so that you can be successful in class. Great. Wow. Thank you. That's a, a very different um, paradigm for our school leaders and, and teachers to be really examining on how we, we help service kids. It, it comes really back to, to equity as well, right? Um, you know, what's equal isn't equitable um, in making sure that kids get what they need in order to be successful. You know, I, 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 com I completely agree, Adam. And I'm just going to say I, I'm going to applaud our staff, too, because they were courageous enough that by the time that I left there, our staff was disaggregating our data by race wow. and they were setting, they were setting some race specific goals to have 
um, our black students and Hispanic students experience more success, very targeted in trying to have them experience more success so that our percentages would be more aligned than they than they were prior to that work. Wow, that's incredible. You know, just to, to be thinking about um, faculty taking that initiative, right? That it, it's really a distributive leadership model where everybody's in it together and, and we're doing the right thing for the kids because it's the right thing to do. Um, my, my guess, Khan, is that you didn't get there from day one, right? You know, you just didn't walk in on day one of your first day of principalship and say, hey, this is how we're going to help all kids be successful. Can you talk a little bit about how you got your faculty to that point um, where it was all hands on deck and we're all saying yes? Um, so, yes, obviously, you know, I, I one of the things that when uh, someone who's going to say interview for a, a leadership job, you know, come to me and they say, so give me some tips about, <laughs> you know, things I should be thinking about in the interview process. And the one I always talk about is there's nothing worse than going into an interview and telling everybody what your vision is for their school. <laughs> like they haven't figured it out and you have this vision that if they follow you, you you'll, you'll bring them the answers that they've never been able to figure out on their own. So I think that, you know, um, a person needs to think of themselves as a long haul leader that, you know, I found that if, if I came into a school and the first thing I did was to spend time really understanding what was going on there, that I had a much better chance of getting involved in conversations about what kind of changes we could do because I would use the language that I heard other people using. It wasn't like, I think we should do this. It was, I hear us saying mm -hmm. that there's only a few kids that we aren't reaching and what could we do to, you know, help them be successful? I heard us saying that I don't get a lot out of our monthly staff meetings when it's, you know, 300 of us in a room with somebody up front talking. I wish I could spend some more time with my colleagues in conversation about our day-to-day -day practices. So when we were doing some of those, uh, talking about some of those changes, it wasn't because necessarily... It was like Khan's vision. It was because it was something that was being talked about in the building, but, but leadership were the people that had the advantage of hearing it in lots of different places. Mm. And so when you talked about it with everybody, it was like, oh, yeah, we've been in that conversation. Have you been in that mm. conversation too? That's the advantage of leadership is you can wander around and hear all the separate conversations that members of a really large staff don't often have a chance to hear each other saying. And if you can find those tie together points and create a narrative of change and hope around that, people want to be a part of that as opposed to it feeling like it's being implemented on them from the top. It's hard to summarize anything and add anything onto that, Con. That's absolutely right. As you're tapping into what already exists and you're the unifying, you're the glue behind kind of the engine that is already there, um, that, that's powerful. Um, that's how you drive a culture and co-drive a, a culture. I would share with you just as, a, as somebody that's watched you in my career, uh, you've, you've done that on the student side as well. Um, why don't you reflect just uh, as we kind of transition uh, into maybe the student side of things, 
How did you tap in and listen to students so that all students felt welcome to Eden Prairie High School and the buildings that you've been in? Yeah, I, I think it's the exact same thing, Mark. I, you know, um, one of the things that I really latched onto in my uh, my doctoral studies was this idea about leader as ethnographer. You know, to the degree to which you can look at the building that you lead as if you are like studying in like a a tribe in the Amazon. Like, you know, what's going on here, and can you give a a voice to that, or can you, you know, be the narrator of the story that you're seeing? And for me, if I could, if in that story, I could grab enough examples that every, you know, each kid could hear themselves in the story that was our school, then people felt like they belonged to it. And I know all that sounds really, you know, ethereal, but I'll be get real specific about it. Um, when I first came to Eden Prairie, something that hadn't been done, but I, I just told everybody I really want to try to do, and I know that folks were kind of concerned about interrupting their classes, but every Monday in between <laughs> first and second period, I grabbed the first five minutes or so of second period. I just came on the PA. Giant school. I wanted the kids to know who their principal was, and I would just I'd just deliver a message. Now, a lot of them were based off of a program called Words of Wisdom, uh, or Project Wisdom, um, but a lot of them I wrote myself. A lot of them were like uh, like a series of shout-outs. I would try to grab, and they, it wasn't always athletics. It was like other little things that kids were involved in where they had been successful doing something. And just to have that kind of obscure name read over the PA and congratulations on doing this or doing that. And all of a sudden, some other kid who felt obscure heard some other kid be given congratulations for something else. And they're like, oh, this school values that too. So, you know, doing stuff like that, um, we have these, you know, a lot of schools call them pep fests. We call them celebrations. They took on this mammoth cultural feel of, I mean, we, you know, the kids, kids would call our gigantic school a family mm -hmm. because we'd get together in that gym and we'd celebrate everybody. I mean, our kids stood and cheered as loudly for the ukulele playing girl who sang a song or the adaptive floor hockey team or the, you know, um, orchestra kid that played a cello solo as they did for the state hockey champion or the state football champion. Because we said in this space, everyone who comes down this floor is it's their moment and you know, up in the stands, if you yield and give them their moment, we create a culture where when it's your turn, you'll get appreciated that way too. And it really, it really worked. Kids loved those things. And when they left those things, they felt so proud of their school. Uh, it was really cool. Huh, that's awesome. Wow. I, I, I'm just, I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, I have my own son who's going to be a high school freshman um, this fall and just thinking about the, the opportunity and the culture that you created on this idea of excellence for all students and getting your faculty behind this vision that every child is going to be successful, you know, every period, every course, every credit and what a blessing you are to the, to the work in the field there at Eden Prairie and even uh, the greater 
metro twin uh, twin city area so um so appreciate your suggestions and your advice any last words that you might have for our listeners who are really trying to recreate that vision that you created so successfully at eden prairie so i think that um i appreciate your kind words and uh, what i what i know for a fact is i'm the benefactor <laughs> of the fact that i i have been lucky that i've been the leader I've been the leader that the building needed. I didn't have to be something different to be the leader that they needed. And I think, you know, if, if, if this is going to be advice, um, it would be, I think a lot of times for leaders, we, we think we need to model ourselves after somebody or, 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 you know, um, be a certain kind of person to be a successful leader. And I just think the best thing that any of us can do as leaders is to be just as fully authentically who we are and then you you will find your place where being authentically who you are is exactly the leader that that building needs and when you find that because i've been unbelievably lucky i've found that several times when you find that it is with all the challenges of leadership it's a wonderful sweet spot to be in that's great con your, so your enthusiasm and excitement is uh contagious and in our profession, um, certainly appreciate you sharing with listeners today. Incredible. Adam, you want to close us off? Yeah, just again, thanks, Khan. And if our listeners want to learn more from Khan, we have his contact information that we have along with our um, program here on our podcast. And then, of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Khan McCartan um, and see all the great things he's doing, continuing to do even in his retirement as he's working with the Education Foundation there. Um, in Eden Prairie. So Con, thank you again for, for being here with us and um, giving us your words of inspiration for our students in the, in the country. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for joining another exciting episode of Lead Change in Education, where we talk with educational leaders just like you and how they're boosting student achievement and building collective teacher efficacy. Tune in to our weekly podcast by joining and subscribing to the podcast platform that works best for you. You can also follow Adam at Adam D. Drummond or Mark at MWHS Principal on Twitter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and you can use the hashtag LeadChangeEd to stay up to date on all of the exciting things that are happening in education related to our podcast as well as the work that we do each and every day. Until next time, be the change you wish to lead in your schools.